When it was really bad, there was nothing more terrifying than the subway. I descended to the station, my vision narrowing until I could only see my feet. All I could think about was wondering when everyone else was going to realize the only thing keeping shit together in the subway was the social contract and how goddamn flimsy that was. And if they wanted to, it would be so easy to rob everyone for all they're worth, to pull out a gun and just start shooting. You could just slip out at the next stop and go about your day. And that's not even getting started on how the subway itself could turn on you. The hundred-year-old infrastructure, the ancient control systems, the likelihood of derailment or crashes or the tunnels collapsing down around you. It didn't help that, at the time, there was a wave of people being pushed onto the tracks at random and dying from an incoming train. Or, worse, not dying and being dragged along until the train finally came to a stop and you were trapped between the train and the tracks with no real solution to get you out of there in one piece. It was a fear I'd long had but was able to convince myself it was irrational. Until then. I made the mistake of starting to read the news. Every walk alone at night felt like a death sentence. My heart would race if there was no one around, if there were too many people around, if someone was walking too close as the train rushed past me as it came into my station, when my stop was next, when I unlocked my front door, when I crossed my room to turn on the light, when someone crossed my side of the street, when I turned off a busy road, when I was next in line to order, when I had to ask a salesperson for help, when the train stopped mid-tunnel due to train traffic ahead, and even harder, when stopped due to police investigation, when a security guard checked my bag before going to a museum, when an elevator moved too fast, when the elevator moved too slowly, when I had to step off an escalator, when a street light flickered off as I approached. After a while, it seemed safer just to stay inside, ignoring the fact that I was living in a shitty apartment in a shitty neighborhood, and if a burglar or a rapist or a murderer wanted to get to me, they could do so with ease. There was a two-month stretch when I was working from home and left the apartment only once a week to get groceries. I spent my days staring at the ceiling and spiraling down into the darkest corners of the internet. Although, most days I could satisfy what I was searching for by watching New York One. I'd call my grandmother under the guise of catching up and maneuver the conversation towards a point where I could casually say, Did you hear what happened in Queens? They found the body of a man who'd been shot twelve times and then lit on fire. Or, I saw they found that girl who's been missing for a while. Some surfers found her washed up on shore in the Rockaways. Or, looks like they caught the man who's been attacking women with an axe in Midtown. She had listened politely for a while, reacting with the correct amount of awe and sadness and sympathy. Then, one day, she was silent for a few moments after my latest headline. Her silence was another thing that got my stomach churning. Finally, she said, Oh, honey. If you go out every day looking for tragedy, you're going to find it.
I'm walking down 7th Avenue working on my story. Hi, my name is Anna. I'm a food blogger and wanted to write about your cafe for our new openings column. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Right away, even the scenario in my head started going off the rails. Oh, what site do I write for? Uh, Gothamist? What's that? They've already written about you? I mean, we've already written about you? That's weird, must have been a mix-up with my editor. Can I just ask you a few questions about your personal life for no reason then? Wait, no, no need to call the police. I'll just leave. I should probably just go home. But, no. I continue walking to the cafe, gazing wistfully down the side streets at the townhouses I laughably imagine myself living in one day. I picture myself coming in from our little backyard garden, carrying a bowl full of tomatoes smelling like earth and sunlight, heading to our kitchen just as my strapping husband is emerging from the adjacent ceramic studio, where he spends his days throwing vases and serving bowls that we sell together at the Brooklyn Flea. I ignore the fact that this combined with occasional illustration assignments for obscure indie magazines couldn't possibly afford us a townhouse in Park Slope. But it's nice to think about. Hey, maybe I'll be the breadwinner from the multi-million dollar sales of my paintings at auction at Christie's. I start smiling to myself at the thought, out of delight or self-deprecation I can't tell. A man passing me in the other direction frowns deeper at me when he sees the smile and shakes his head in that way that I know means, oh, the freaks you see in New York. Men expect you to be smiling for them any time you're presenting yourself in public. They remind me of that every day. But when you do so without being told, they look at you like you're fucking crazy. I'm having trouble finding the street numbers, a notion that always seems silly to me in a place where you pay a premium for your address. But when I finally catch two numbers in a row, I realize I've gone too far. I stop short and whirl around, crashing into a couple as I do, and look around for it, willing myself to snap out of my head for once. I see a storefront without a sign halfway back down the block and figure that must be it. There are two strollers parked outside and a sandwich board of what I can only assume to be a witty phrase scrawled across it in chalk. I step inside and am greeted with that delicious combination of the smells of coffee and croissants, inoffensive jazz playing softly from the speakers, the rhythmic tapping of the freelancers who set up office for the day taking up most of the eight bistro tables scattered around the cozy space. A girl with a pixie cut I could never pull off is deep in concentration at the espresso machine, pulling a shot for the impossibly chic woman muttering in French to the baby that's swaddled in what looks to be a cashmere pashmina across her chest. A hairy-looking woman emerges from the back, balancing a tray of cookies in the crook of her arm, a mug hooked onto each of her fingers. The way she moves so authoritatively through the space makes it clear that she is the owner, the woman I'm looking for. The French woman and her baby step away from the counter, and the pixie cut looks at me expectantly. Can I help you? Actually, I think I'm looking for her. I gesture awkwardly toward the other woman, who spins around to face me. Yes? Are you the owner? Rachel? That's me. She narrows her eyes at me, sizing me up. I am, well, I write this food blog. You've probably never heard of it, but... I wanted to write something about the opening of your cafe, and I was wondering if I could maybe do a quick interview with you. I'm sorry, did we email about this? No, you're right. I guess I should have probably arranged something ahead of time. I was just in the neighborhood and thought I'd try stopping by. But if you're too busy right now, I totally understand. No, it's okay. I guess we can talk now. Can you give me a couple of minutes? Sure. Allison will get you a cup of coffee while you wait.
And you have to try one of these if you're going to be writing about us. She hands me one of the cookies from the tray, still warm from the oven, then hurries back through the swinging kitchen door. Allison pours me a cup. Milk? The look on her face was poised for judgment. No, thank you. Her face softens as she smiles as she sets the mug down on the counter. I bring it over to one of the few empty tables, taking a bite of the cookie, which is indeed perfect. I pull the black notebook out of my bag and I flip to an empty page, my heart starting to pick up as I try to figure out what, exactly, a food blogger even does. I frantically scribble down a few questions to keep up appearances. It couldn't be that hard to figure out as I go along. A few minutes later, Rachel comes over to the table and plops down across from me. Now that she was closer, I can see the flyaway wisps of hair, the dark circles under her eyes, the smudge of flour across her cheek. So, how do you like it? The coffee? It's delicious. And the cookie? It's amazing. Is that nutmeg? Yes! Good catch. No wonder you're a food blogger. I look down, feeling my cheeks start to redden. So I guess I'll start at the beginning. What made you want to open this cafe? Did you always want to have your own place like this? Well, I used to be an investment banker, but the 70-80 hour weeks were wearing me down. Not like I'm not pulling that kind of time here, but the work felt so soulless. I found myself turning into one of those women who would have those thoughts like, maybe I'll move to Vermont and open up a little pie shop or to Tennessee and raise horses. I wanted something simpler and more connected to the community. I ended up having a kid, and while I was on maternity leave, I got really hooked on baking. It was something to keep me sane. I'd always made things here and there, but this was like a cake every day. Pretty shortly after my daughter was born and I was deep into this baking tear, my grandmother died and I inherited all of her recipes. These boxes full of meticulously written recipe cards. So I started going through those and it made me feel really connected to her and totally grounded again, back in touch with my roots, you know? So I never ended up going back to my old job. As soon as I didn't feel like that pang of guilt when I so much as thought about not being there for my daughter 24-7, I started making plans to open this place instead. So this cafe, it's kind of like an homage to your grandmother in a way. Yeah, you could say that. All of the baked goods are her recipes. This has been a crazy process, but when I'm in the kitchen reading her notes and her handwriting, I feel so at peace in the center of this chaos. It makes it worth it. Were you very close with your grandmother? Not as much as I wish I had been now that she's gone. Now I can't believe I even had a grandmother at my age. I totally took it for granted. My stomach started to sink. What was she like? I... My blog has a real human interest aspect to it, so I like to get these kinds of details. What did you say the name of your site was again? The Gourmet? I'm withering under Rachel's stare. She's about to throw me out. I know it. Titles aren't my forte. I hear you about that one. You're talking to the woman who named this place the Cafe on 7th, after all. Anyway, my grandmother, I don't know, just never shook her strong Russian accent, so she always sounded like a supervillain. Very stern with my mother, but spoiled as rotten. 
I barely ever saw her out of the kitchen when we visited. No one ever had an empty plate in her house. The minute you ate your last bite, she was swooping in to serve you a portion of a whole new dish she'd whipped up as you were eating. That's the thing about grandmothers, it seems. My heart was aching. I had the sudden urge to reach across the table and squeeze Rachel's hand. I could see tears just beginning to form in her eyes. I've been getting sad lately that my daughter won't ever know her. She could use a real spitfire in her life. My mother, she can't seem to pick out a cucumber without turning to my father for approval. Well, what about you? <laughs> if you ask my husband, he'd say I've gone too far in the other direction. She reaches over and takes a sip of my coffee without a hint of apology, then leans in close to whisper. I didn't tell him that I bought this place. Not for three days. Wow. I just wanted something that was mine, you know? Mine alone. I felt so completely intertwined with these two other lives, I couldn't even be sure where they ended and I began. To have this little thing that's just so God damn dependent on you. I, but I love my daughter. Of course I love my daughter. I'm, I'm sorry. I've gotten so off track. You're not even writing notes. Back to the cafe. Do you want to know about the menu curation or something? I didn't know how to tell her that I couldn't care less about how she chose which pastries to sell or what origin of coffee she liked best. So instead I said yes and half-heartedly jotted down some choice words as she expounded at length about the decision to serve French press and a pour-over coffee. I loved watching her talk, her eyes roaming wildly around the room as she attempted to follow her rushed dreams of thought, her hand gestures getting more staccato the more excited she got about a point she was making, her ankle constantly jostling under the table and making it shake ever so slightly, her handwriting showing little waves in time with her rhythm. My mind kept wandering as I tried to listen, wondering what she talked with her husband about at dinner, tried to picture her when she was my age, imagining her in a boardroom of some glass skyscraper in a crisp pencil skirt and shiny high heels. When I ran out of fake interview questions to ask her, I wondered if it would be at all appropriate to see if she wanted to meet for a drink after work so we could just keep talking as new friends. Instead, I asked, Are you hiring? Rachel looked a bit taken aback, and I immediately regretted it. I'm sorry, that's not really professional to ask after an interview. It's just, I really like this place and its story, and I'm just a freelancer, so it couldn't hurt to have something steadier. Maybe just two or three days a week? Do you even have any experience in food besides writing about it? Did you? It just slipped out. Great fucking job there, Anna. But to my surprise, Rachel looked impressed. Are you going to give me a bad write-up if I don't hire you? I promise it won't have any effect whatsoever. How about this? You come in Tuesday for a trial run. It's not a busy day for us. I'll see how you do. If you don't fuck up my business then, sure, I could probably find a couple of ships for you. Deal. Park and cutting through its northwest corner. There's a casual game of soccer happening in the meadow where most of the guys have their shirts off, so I flag down an icy push cart, order a lemon-flavored scoop, and sit down on a nearby bench to watch them. They all have those kinds of bodies where I'm not forced to picture them grunting in the gym, 
lean and just muscular enough that perhaps they were formed from casual days of manly labor, lifting heavy things and sawing wood and crouching to inspect the undersides of cars. I ignore for a moment the fact that they all likely instead spend their days working in tech, whatever that means, sitting at a Mac in some co-working space in Dumbo, and I let spoonfuls of lemon ice slowly melt on my tongue as I watch those muscles move under glistening skin slick with sweat their backs tensing and releasing, their faces contorting into grimaces as they miss their shots, their fingers moving through their hair as they pace the field, waiting for the action of the game to come back in their direction. (laughs) There was one boy in particular who had that kind of face you could so easily picture between your legs. The kind of guy, I figure, who brags about how much he loves to eat pussy, as if that makes him special that willingness to do so, and not simply part of the deal when it comes to fucking women. The goalie of the opposing team definitely loves a finger up his ass when you blow him, but you're never allowed to talk about it because he's scared that maybe he isn't just admiring the biceps of the Hollywood Chris of the latest Marvel movie in an objective, I respect that dude's workout game kind of way, but maybe in a I wouldn't mind it if our dicks accidentally touch if we ever end up in an MMF threesome kind of way. And the guy over there, who keeps doing unnecessarily fancy footwork whenever he has the ball, well, he likes to call himself a feminist on Twitter, but exclusively seeks out girls who like rougher sex so that he can tell himself he's choking and slapping them because they want it, and not because he needs to fulfill this urge deep inside of him to finally be able to hit women. Anna? Then there's the guy who has a perpetual smirk. He... Anna, is that you? I look up to see a girl who looks vaguely familiar standing over me. It's me, Taylor. Taylor, an old friend from high school who I had fallen out of touch with by the time we graduated. Oh, hi! It's always uniquely strange running into someone you know in New York, like sitting down at a communal table in some country across the world to find someone you know sitting across from you. How have you been? It's been so long. I know. I've been fine, I guess. How about you? Wonderful. You know, we just bought a house not too far from your parents' place a couple of years ago. Well, your parents' old place. We? Oh, my husband, Jack. Actually, he's an artist just like you. We're in the city just for the day because he has a booth at some art fair. She waves the phrase away as if it were some precious kid's game. Normally I sit with him, but it was just too nice a day to be cooped up inside. I'm on my way to the farmer's market to get some tomatoes. I didn't bother planting any in my garden this year. Darn those deer. Anyway, are you still doing your little art thing, or do you have a job? I'm an illustrator, so both. I try to form a smile in her direction, doing everything possible to not make it seem like bearing fangs. How about you? What do you do now? Oh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. We have two kids now. On purpose? Yes. Uh, Jack Jr.'s eight, and Megan is five. Eight? But we're 27. She studies me for a moment, her fake smile of her own wavering. So, you live here in Brooklyn? Yeah. Ugh, I guess it's fine to come visit for a day, but I just don't know how you do it. So loud, so dirty. Didn't you want to be a lawyer? Are you seeing anyone? No. Hmm. We look at each other for a beat pitying the other one's life, who they turned out to be. 
Well, it was great seeing you. You too. Next time I'm in the city for one of Jack's shows, we should get a drink. Maybe Jack will come along. I'm sure he'd be happy to give you some advice. I'd love that. Fuck you. Bye. Bye. I watched Taylor walk away, her ponytail swinging perfectly in time with her steps. My hair is thick and curly. When I put it in a ponytail, it just kind of hangs. The flimsy paper cup of my icy is starting to give and my fingers are sticky. It feels childish. It's time to go home. up Thursday morning, I'm nervous. I like to think of myself as an honest person, but on the other hand, I've spent so much of my life playing by the rules and look where that got me. I'm in my late 20s and I'm about to start work at a coffee shop just to have someone to talk to. I don't necessarily have a complex about getting older. I'm not really nostalgic for any period of my life gone by, and there seems to be this underground It Gets Better campaign for people proselytizing about how awful your 20s are and how your life doesn't truly begin and you don't really find happiness until your 30s. But instead of there being viral videos starring celebrities, no one ever talks about it until you're with an older friend, drunk off wine and crying about how hard life is, and that's the only thing they tell you. So I'm always looking forward to getting older. But sometimes I can't help but remember the vision I had for myself at this age when I was a kid, or even in college, and get pulled all the way down by just how far off I am from that vision. I can't help but look back at all these points and wonder, maybe if I did that instead of this, things would be better. But here we are. It's hard to feel like an adult sometimes without having any of those signifiers proving to the world that you are one. A full-time job a husband, a house, kids. I feel this way even knowing full well that's not actually the life I want, right? When I get to the cafe, Rachel is stationed at the pastry case, making minute adjustments to how the scones are arranged with furrowed brow. She seems surprised to see me, and for a moment, I get scared that she's forgotten all about me. Oh, right, it's Thursday. Um... She wipes her hands on her apron and gestures toward me to come behind the counter. Here, you can toss your bag in that shelf down there. Let's see, where should we begin? I'm relieved by the lack of social niceties. The less and less often I talk to people, the worse I become at small talk. And God forbid she asks me about my blog again. I guess at some point she'll be wanting to see the article I'm writing. But I'll cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. I guess I'll give you a little tour first, and then I'll teach you how to use the espresso machine. You don't know how to do that, right? I shake my head, feeling pretty useless, but she doesn't seem to be too annoyed with me. I trail her around the space as she shows me where things are stored and the little systems for all the different tasks I'll be doing. You warm a book croissant like this, you serve a pot of tea like this, things like that. I learn about the slight differences of espresso to milk to foam ratios, and now that the whole thing is demystified, it seems like a bit of a scam, to be honest. Not like that doesn't mean I'll be enjoying my newfound sense of superiority when I decide my next order at a cafe with confidence. It's a pretty straightforward job. 
The only thing that makes or breaks it is the customers, and they're okay. There's a pretty solid half of this neighborhood that is insufferable, but at least they have money to spend. I glance over at the two customers. It's a small space, and Rachel's not exactly bothering to lower her voice. They don't seem to care. They're either tuning her out or are pretty confident that they belong to the other half of the neighborhood. At that moment, a large group comes through the door. You know what? Let me just take this group. We'll wait until a single or a couple comes in for you to do it, okay? Yeah, sure. Just watch me for now. But actually, real quick, can you go back in the kitchen and grab that rack of cookies? You'll see it. They should be cool by now. I nod and duck back into the kitchen. The tray of cookies is sitting on a counter across the room. But as I go to get it, a little plastic box catches my eye. The kind I used to hold my French vocabulary cards in. It's stuffed to the brim with index cards, crumpled edges of newspaper and magazines sticking out of it haphazardly. Glancing back over my shoulder, I lift the top and pull out one of the cards halfway. A recipe for chocolate cake is printed in tiny, meticulous handwriting. I peek at a few others. Coffee cake, cherry pie, banana cream pudding. I run my finger over one, almost expecting the ink to smudge. It felt so intimately immediate. With a jolt of electricity, I pocket the recipe for raisin scones. I don't know why. I hate scones and I hate raisins. I grab the tray of cookies and return to the front. Rachel was just finishing up with the last of the group, but she smiles at me when she sees the cookies. A smile seems so out of place on her. It instantly makes me want to do whatever I can to bring it back. I imagine her smiling at me from the other side of a kitchen island, sliding a plate of scrambled eggs across to me. The Sunday Times rolled onto her arm. It seems oddly familiar. Cookies are indeed ready. What kind are they? Russian tea cakes. When I'd visit, she'd serve these at 3 p.m. every day with black tea sweetened with cherries. Like in that episode of Sex in the City? Like in Moscow. She'd say she did this every day, even when I wasn't there. But even then, I knew it was this special treat just for us. A couple of days ago, this mother and daughter came in and ordered a pot of tea with a couple of these cookies. I near fainted. It was so perfectly what I was imagining for this place. It's those little moments, you know? That flash of Rachel with the eggs and the times. I remember now that was my mother. Every weekend. What about your mom? Was she at these tea parties too? Or was it more like she dropped you off at grandma camp? Grandma camp? Oh, well, at least that's what my mom called it. I don't know, you never seem to mention her in these stories about your grandma. I was just wondering is all. I feel like I'm at my shrinks. I'm sorry. I'll drop it. I'm saved by the literal bell of a customer walking through the door. Rachel steps back to let me handle it, watching my every move with intense scrutiny. I'm getting stage fright. I do better without her hovering, I know it. When the customer takes their coffee to a table, I'm left completely convinced Rachel has realized what a mistake she made taking a chance on me. But when I turn to her with a sheepish look on my face, she shrugs. That was fine, I guess. Um, How would you feel about me leaving you up here for a little bit? I've got a ton to do in the back. Maybe practice making some espresso drinks while you're waiting for people. You can always call for me if you need help. Sure, that would be fine. It was a relief to be alone. It turns out interacting with people comes with a lot of pressure. I tinker with the espresso machine, 
taking so many sips of test drinks before discarding them that I'm visibly shaking an hour into my shift. Thankfully, the few people that come in on my watch have simple orders, and I manage to trick myself into thinking I can do this. I even have some small talk with a few women that were pleasant enough. The only sticking point was when I was attempting to make a macchiato for this man, a professor type, the gruff, cranky kind, not the Robin Williams kind, whose scowl deepened even further when I wasn't completely confident I'd actually made him a macchiato, or if I made him a cortado, so I decided just to redo the whole thing. As his eyes trailed me around the space, they made that seemingly inevitable transition from displeasure to lingering on my chest, my hips, my neck, as I nervously shoved a stray wisp of hair behind my ear. I started to get that strange, bristling feeling on my skin and in my stomach as I became merely a body. It seemed to confirm all of the times my mind had disassociated from my body before on my own terms. I am not of this body, or however it goes. That verse from when a bunch of people got very stoned and then wrote the New Testament. I tentatively slid what I hoped was a macchiato toward the customer. He looked down at it with an inscrutable expression before sighing and handing me a ten. You knew? My first day, actually. And you're alone? Um, no. The owner is in the back. He craned his neck to look behind me through the small window at the kitchen door, as if he were expecting to catch my bluff. I guess Rachel must have passed by just in time, because he looked back at me, seemingly disappointed. Do you even drink coffee? Of course I do. He grunted something of a response as he took his cup and his change and shuffled toward a table. I've tried to shake the whole thing off, but ever since I feel his eyes on me, always. I don't dare even glance toward him in fear that we lock eyes, but I know he's watching me. Each customer feels like a test I'm destined to fail. I'm hyper aware of every bend, every stretch, doing what I can to reduce the amount of skin exposed or curve accentuated with each movement. I can't even tell if he hates me or wants to fuck me. I can't even tell if there's a difference. After I handle a group of four customers fairly well and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, I realize all of that espresso has quite suddenly built me to my bursting point. I scan the room. No one seems like they need something right away. I'm sure I could just slip into the bathroom real quick. It briefly crosses my mind to tell Rachel, but I have to pee so urgently I doubt I'll be gone more than a minute or two. It'll be fine. I rush around the corner and down the hall to the bathroom, starting to pee halfway before I even sit down. It's a pretty boring job, but for a couple days a week, I think it'll be a nice change of pace. I wash my hands, open the door, and jump back. The man is standing a few inches away from me. Had he been pressed against the door that whole time? I don't believe you. What? I don't believe that there's anyone else here. I haven't seen anyone else this whole time. You're alone. He takes a step forward into the bathroom with me. That's when my heart starts to thud. I can teach you things. I'm not alone. I can yell for Rachel. I can yell for Rachel and she'd probably come running in here with a knife. But my voice, I can't seem to will it to work. I open my mouth, take another step back, and he takes another step forward. He reaches behind him to close the door. My pepper spray, it's in my bag up at the counter. Of course, I never seem to have it when I need it. Is he strong? Could I shove him aside? Why can't I fucking say something? The room starts to buzz around me. I can see his lips moving, but I can't. 
do do I want if maybe Rachel just need to no no I can't he is but oh god just he grabs my wrist come on I'm a nice guy I won't even tell your boss you don't know shit about anything snap my head back breath catches somehow the hallway the counter my bag on the shelf his shadow there the door, the sidewalk, the corner, the sidewalk, the corner, the sidewalk, the corner, the sidewalk, the crosswalk. My heart hard in my ear. I've made so many random turns, I almost don't know how to get back to the train, this neighborhood I thought I knew so well. My phone vibrating my bag. I don't need to look to know that it's Rachel. I don't need to answer to know that I'll never speak to her again. Footsteps behind me, I spin around. Of course there are footsteps behind me. This is Brooklyn. There are millions of people here. Someone running behind me. This is it. Somehow my instincts tell me to stop, my hands rushing up to my face. No, run. You, run too. A flash of neon spandex. A jogger. Fuck joggers now more than ever. Just make it to the train, Anna. Just make it to the train. Sidewalk. 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 A green orb up ahead. Think of Gatsby. Think of high school English class. Think of that teacher you loved. Stairs. Turnstile. Stairs. Stairs. Breathe in. Breathe out. Platform. You are of this body. You control it. You bring it back to your home. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, breathe. Chapter 2 of This Used to Be the Place, Rachel Park Slope. It was written, read, and produced by me, Celeste Kaufman. Additional voice work was provided by Ellis Rodenis, Ramya Hip, and Matt George Moore. Music is courtesy of Eva Schlegel. Next up is Chapter 3, Ira Baum, Museum of Natural History. Thanks for listening.